Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the May Queens podcast. I'm your host, Mary Graves. And I'm Heather. And we are the May Queens. And it's just the two of us today. We're hoping to do more interviews in the future, but we just wanted to, you know, shoot the shit and just talk about horror movies today. So for today, we are going to be talking about our top three favorite underrated movie gems. You may have heard of them. You may not have heard of them. And these are pretty much our recommendations for ones that you should definitely watch. But before we get into that, Heather, how has your week been going? It's been going all right. A little crazy. My phone's been messing up. Then we've had like short little power outages from like the heat and stuff. And um, I heard about that because you're in Texas and that's like all over the news right now. And shit, it's hotter in Arizona. <laughs> like, I don't know why we're making the, the news, but um, I'm just glad I'm here and not Arizona because it's like 111 or 100, no, like 115 or 16 there. God, I see oh, it gets into the 90s in Ohio and I can't take it. I can't, I cannot imagine living in Texas or Arizona where it gets up to 100 in June. Mm -mm. And it's like, yeah, I, I definitely couldn't do Arizona, I'll tell you that, because I'm like, it just, like, the humidity makes you feel sticky, you know, so I just hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't, well, no, I can't deal, I cannot deal with it. I could deal with winter weather, bundling up in a bunch of blankets, putting on sweaters, my favorite hoodie, cuddling a little closer with my dogs at night <laughs> to keep warm. <laughs> That's fine, but, you know, you can only get so naked and I can't really get naked in my house because I live with my dad so that's not gonna happen and we don't have air conditioning in this house I have a portable air conditioner I take out for my bedroom so that's at least livable throughout the summer now but I only started doing that the last couple of years and I do that I do it for the dogs too because when I got Lincoln a few years ago he's you know he's all fur so I really feel bad for him in the summer and then all the animals just kind of hibernate in my bedroom during the summer to, to keep cool. And then they snuggle with my dad in the winter to stay warm. So it's a it's a balancing act, I guess. But I couldn't I could never could never with the hundred degree weather. That just fans only do so much. But mm -hmm. uh, the reason Texas is in the news though is not because of the heat, it's because of the the way you know the, the power outages, the energy grid that you guys are on that's separate from us and the whole Ted Cruz going to Alaska thing was in the news so that I was laughing I was not laughing at your pain over that but I was laughing at that because we know he went for warmer weather in the winter and whatever uh I don't want to talk politics but that's still just not a shocker but uh yeah I there is the, the things that I don't like about Ohio when it comes to the weather, I'm so grateful. Like yesterday I spent the day at Lake Erie again, which I'm sunburned on my shoulders from, but it was perfect. I didn't need a sweater. It didn't rain. It was just the, the perfect weather. So we're, we're getting into that nice part of summer before it gets sticky. <laughs> that sounds awesome though. Being on Lake Erie. <laughs> do you ever get to go to, I, I'm, I'm guessing Houston's nowhere near the Gulf, but do you ever take trips to the Gulf? Yeah, um, it's actually not too far. I was born in Galveston, so we, I usually go at least once a year, um, sometimes twice, which still isn't that much, but I love it. It's just not as pretty as other places, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 
a body of water can be calming anyway. So it's nice to be around one. I, I have a friend who, um, she lives near Ocean City, I think it's Virginia or Maryland. Um, but she lives in, she lives in Baltimore, but she travels out to Ocean City at least once, sometimes a few times a year. And she's a big ocean person. And I went to California with her last year. And I told her, you know, I get to go to Lake Erie pretty much whenever I want because I'm 20 minutes away. And she's like, oh, it's a fake ocean. It's not the ocean. I'm like, it's a big body of water. You can't see Canada on the other side or I believe Canada on the other side. It's, you know, it's basically like a, a less rough version of the ocean. So at least I can swim in it better than I would be able to swim in an ocean. Of course, you should never, you should never swim in Lake Erie, really. Just don't dive your head under. You want to get pink eye. You want to get some sort of brain eating amoeba. Go swimming in the Great Lakes. Just, no, just, you know, waist down only, please. And make sure you're wearing a bikini or something because you don't, you don't want to be skinny dipping in the Great Lakes, especially after a storm. It's just, no, it's gross. My week has been going as good as it could, I guess. Um, Terror Tuesdays came out late. I was sick the last couple of weeks. So trying to get projects done on time has just not been great for me. Our show, the May Queens podcast came out uh, day, well, it came out later in the, did it even come out Friday? I think the, the video came out Friday. I actually post <laughs> Saturday morning. I can't remember if I was able to schedule it on time though. I literally worked through the night to get the video done. And then I just lost like all my Saturday or Friday to sleeping, but it, it, oh, I didn't post. I didn't post anything on social media until Monday. So that's what came out late. So if you haven't, if you're like, what happened to last week's episode? It's out. We just didn't promote it until Monday. So it's out there. And our, our, it was an interview with Lauren. What, how does he, how do you pronounce his last name? Because I know there was a question about that online. Is it Lepre? Is it Lepre? Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even sure. Lepre? I know, uh, I don't remember. I remember him saying it and I was like, oh my God, never corrected me. Gosh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. That is why I had you announce it because I didn't know how to pronounce his last name either. I'm like, he's not like there's no youtube video or google thing that'll pop up when you're like how to pronounce this name like i did for one of the the actors in one of the movies i'm going to talk about today but our latest may queens podcast was an interview with lauren i'm just gonna say lauren uh who was the writer and director of the dark military and i watched this like right before we did the interview and i was surprised at how like good quality it was and it's actually a really good story and he's coming out with a sequel. So make sure, check out our podcast, check out his movies and be prepared for the sequel because it's supposed to be a sequel and then another sequel, but it's gonna you know, come out over the next few years or so. Uh, and other than that, I'm trying to prepare for my next Terror Tuesdays movie. I'm not sure what that's gonna be. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to play Graves Extractions ahead of time. My next Terror Tuesdays movie was going to be Near Dark, and now I may have to wait to do that movie because apparently Near Dark is not available anywhere. But Bloody Disgusting just announced today that Studio Canal, the rumor is that Studio Canal is actually releasing Near Dark on DVD and Blu-ray again. 
this has not come directly from Studio Canal, so we don't know if this is true or not. But if it is, you bet your ass I'm buying that because I have been wanting to watch this movie for years and I didn't realize it wasn't available. I will try a VPN service to see if it's available in other countries, but if that doesn't work, then I'm just going to have to wait to watch this. But I definitely want to get that hard copy. I feel like this is a very popular movie. I mean, maybe it's one of the underrateds that I will eventually be talking about in a couple of years, but I feel like the actors that are in it are such high caliber, Bill Paxton and Lance Henriksen, that this movie should be much more available and I'm really shocked it's not especially with the popularity of vampire movies and how like this is so different from your typical Dracula and it, they call it a, a, a western a, a vampire western and I love that idea so I'm really hoping that I'll get to watch it soon and that it will be a Terror Tuesdays pick so keep your fingers crossed all right, let's get into our top three underrated movies. Rewatching these for me has been so much fun. I'm so excited to get to talk to, talk about them. Heather, what is your first pick for an underrated movie favorite? I chose Hush. It came out in 2016. I know there's another Hush with Jessica Lange and I believe Gwyneth Paltrow, but that's not the one. It's the one, I'm pretty sure people have heard of it. Uh, you probably have where the, you know, the lady's deaf and she can't, you know, so she can't hear. And there's, well, I don't want to give, oh, well, we always give it away. So, but, um, spoiler alerts, everybody, spoiler alerts. So someone's trying to break into her house and she's deaf and wait, she's deaf, right? Yeah. yeah she's deaf. It's, um, I haven't actually watched this movie though, but everybody has told me not everybody, but a, a good amount of people have told me that this is a movie I have to see. It is on my list for Terror Tuesdays, but I'm not sure I've scheduled it within the next year. So my schedule keeps changing the more things come up in the media that I think I should take advantage of and you know participate in. So Hush might make its way onto my schedule before I assumed, but yeah, she's definitely, she's definite. <laughs> So it has Uncle Cooper in there from One Tree Hill. Oh my God. That's so funny. Cause I yeah. like, it's been so long since I've seen all the episodes, but you can't forget Uncle Cooper because of the whole limo going over the bridge thing. That's like infamous. If you've ever watched the show, it's very infamous. Oh, and that made me extra hot. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, so it's a really great film. I think, I don't really think I've heard anyone say that they didn't like it, but I just thought it was one that was, you know, less common. I think it's and, one of Mike Flanagan's first films, right? Uh, Mike Flanagan is the guy who did Ouija Origin of Evil and Oculus uh, and was responsible for The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And I believe his wife is the woman in Hush, the deaf woman who plays Theo, who can't touch things, because if she touches things, she's a psychic, in The Haunting of Hill House. I think he, I think she actually appears in a lot of his movies. She's even the blonde who they're scamming at the very beginning of Ouija Origin of Evil, but she's wearing blonde wigs. Let me rewatch that now. There's something else that I had, um, I had watched last night, and it was somehow related to The Haunting of Hill House, which I still have not, not seen. And I, and I was like, oh, I'm going to remember this uh, taking my medicine. So I was like half asleep and I don't remember now. So that's going to drive me crazy. But anyway. 
Um, I will say this one, definitely watch The Haunting of Hill House. I haven't watched The Haunting of Blind Manor yet though. And uh, I hear I should watch The Haunting of Blind Manor. I may do a full reaction to that entire series. Um, so I've been holding off on watching new things and I, in the back of my head, I'm like, I just want to enjoy this. I just want to watch it. But part of me really wants to capture the moment on camera too. So it's a war going on in my head. But if you watch The Haunting of Hill House, go on YouTube, find these two guys. They go under the name Cinema Rules. And in my reaction videos on YouTube, I actually tag their YouTube page in my description because they're one of the only horror reaction video people that I've been watching before I started my own reactions. Most of the reaction videos I've watched are comedy, but I wanted to see if there were horror reaction videos out there and they were the first guys that popped up. There are these two guys out of England, super cute. Uh, one of them is actually engaged and I'm a little sad about that, but <laughs> they're super cute and super funny and they don't just do horror. They do like some Oscar winning stuff too. They let their, their Patreon people pretty much choose the films every once in a while. Uh, but they do a lot of horror. In fact, they just did all of The Haunting of Hill House. So they just finished like posting all those videos. So I suggest going and watching those episodes and then watching their like half an hour thing on YouTube where you get to see them react to it. Cause it's so funny. It's so worth watching, especially since there are a good amount of jump scares in The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> all right well then my first pick is going to be the i want to say it's 19 did i write it i did not write down that's why i pulled up the imdb pages beforehand because i'm like i know there's some notes i didn't take the 1997 movie the relic which there has been a new movie called the relic that came out and i'm not talking about that that i think that one's just called relic this is the relic which is a museum horror creature feature, basically, starring Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore, who Tom Sizemore, his character in this movie is so damn good because he's a very superstitious detective who's working this case where the ship mysteriously comes into harbor and the entire crew is found dead. Like their bodies are hidden in this, this water, thing in in the ship I guess where you can like dump things and water kind of hangs out I don't really know anything about ships all I know is that they opened a door in the floor and there's water and then dead bodies that look like they've been chewed up and are missing part of their brain and this movie ends up in this museum because Penelope Ann Miller's character is a person who is a scientist who works in the museum and she's going over all these artifacts relics uh, that get picked up by this other guy who's an anthropologist. And within this world, there's this creature that comes too. Uh, and they they really do a great, I don't wanna, I really don't wanna spoil anything. I know it's an old movie, but I don't wanna say too much to spoil it. I will say that they take the superstition of a tribe that they are studying. I can't remember what country it is, but they're studying a tribe that has a superstition about a monster and they mix it with the science of the plant life of that country that creates this monster. And the monster is basically let loose in this museum and people end up dead in brutal ways. And the best part about this is that the creature is designed by Stan Winston, who is like the 
biggest creature feature guru that has ever been. Um, he did uh, Pumpkinhead, right? It was Stan Winston. That was like his first movie he directed and like his crew helped him create the monster. But I want to double check that fact right now just to make sure that I got that right. Stan Winston. Oh, he did the special effects on Terminator 2 as well. I didn't know that. The little, the things you learn. Uh, he also worked in Jurassic Park and Aliens. So that makes sense that he worked on uh, on Terminator 2 because you have um, James Cameron and S Steven Spielberg for Jurassic Park. So he was basically involved in everything, <laughs> which is why he has the, the expertise to work on this big creature for Relic. And it's got some great characters, the people who are working in the museum, uh, the the people who go to the museum gala opening and just it's creepy and it's funny all at the same time so I I feel like this is a movie that people don't remember I feel like it, it the people weren't really talking about it when it came out too I have it on VHS so this is one of those movies that I grew up with as a kid and and watched a lot and actually until like five years ago when I rewatched it for the first time in 20 years uh I thought Penelope Ann Miller was actually um oh shoot the woman who was in Hannibal that played Clarice she, she was in the sequel she was uh, um, Julie, wait Julianne Moore Julianne Moore yeah Julianne Moore. I, I know a lot of people don't like Hannibal and don't like her portrayal of Clarice I love her I love her as an actress I loved her in um she was an evolution, right? I think so. I don't want to say for sure. That that's a movie I need to rewatch. People hate them, hate on that movie too. Like, I don't think people hated it when it came out, but I see all this stuff online. Like when people talk about it, they're like, oh, the movie's garbage. Oh, the movie sucks. I'm like, I granted I was a kid when that movie came out, but I loved that movie. I thought it was one of the funniest things I had ever watched. It had um Oh, what's his name? Mike uh, Orlando something. Go look him up as well. <laughs> no, no. The guy who used to be the seven up guy uh, for a while. Uh, Orlando Jones. He was on Matt TV. And then he went on to be the, the seven up guy. He was on it. Um, and I think David Duchovny was in this. Yeah, David Duchovny was the main guy in it too. And yeah, it is Julianne Moore. That was an evolution. And that was just, like, it's great because it's also a creature feature. So there's a little bit of a horror element in evolution, but it's not a horror movie. It's definitely a straight up comedy about the potential end of the world. And it's just so good. It's so good. You should, you should definitely watch it. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend. Uh, but for my horror pick, Relic, uh, it's just it's a fantastic movie. Uh, if you ever wanted to be uh, locked in a museum before, it scares you. You like the idea of the dark, scary, closed places. And it's almost like it's a haunted museum, but it's not. It's a creature feature. This this movie is definitely up your alley. So go check it out. All right, Heather, what is your number two? I think I'm going to go with Don't Go in the House. It's from 1979. And I need to explain, like, First off, I've only seen this movie one time, which was last night. And a lot of my movies, you know, I get interrupted. So like, unless I've seen them multiple times or, you know, I don't always know 
like I'm, I'm aggravated because I can't remember the name of the guy who's in here. And I'm like, then I remember he reminded me of someone, but I don't even know who he reminds me of, but <laughs> I'm looking it up. I, I did not take my trazodone when I watched movies. Okay. <laughs> don't go in the house. 1979. It is, uh, Dan Grimaldi. Okay. There's someone that he reminds me of, and I can't remember. He, he had like the longer brown hair in the movie and, uh, not like long, long, but it, Hmm. I can find a picture of a dude with the long hair. Sometimes that helps. That's what I like about IMDb. If you're, this is where I do all my research is IMDb. I know a lot of people like letterboxed and stuff for like reviews and posting their own movie reviews. I'm an IMDb girl. They're like one of the first websites and I cannot believe like how big they got. I feel like you could do this with a lot of other topics. Uh, and I don't see people doing that. God, 1979. I love 1970s movies too. I'm looking through these images and it just looks insane. What's it? Orig um, don't go in the house. Okay, so it came out around the time of don't go near the park and don't uh, don't answer the phone. No, don't go in the woods. Don't answer the phone. Wait, maybe not the same year as don't go in the woods. I'm going to shut up. But um. <laughs> Well, okay, so it's this guy. In the beginning, it kind of starts off. It kind of has a little tiny bit of uh, Norman Bates vibes to it. So it starts out with this this guy, and um, they're at work, and he throws an aerosol can into the incinerator or something. I, I don't remember what it was. I think that's what it was, and so or a furnace. And so so he throws it into there. There's an explosion, and one of his worker, you know, em employees that he works with um, or colleagues catches on fire and he just kind of stands there, the, not the guy on fire, but the main guy, he just stands there and like watches and then they end up having a flashback to where he's a child and his mom is telling him that he's evil and burning his hands like over a gas burner on the stove oh. and has issues with fire um, and she dies and he's taken over the house and there are these voices in the house who have been speaking to her apparently telling her that her son was evil and so-and-so was evil and to punish them for it so now he is stuck with the voices his mom's still there completely um kind of ripped off the whole uh norma part because she's just like chilling in a chair and then he has other other bodies from women he's murdered who are corpses in there kind of like a, a little tourist trappy kind of too and he talks to them and so it's like showing him go through some of his like murders and showing him like dealing with the voices and everything and how he's trying to cope with the fact that a house is talking to him and telling him to kill and then he goes through a whole thing kind of like in the golden glove where he's trying to do better he goes and sees a priest or he calls him father so he goes and sees this guy and he's like trying to get better and he's you know doesn't get better so um he goes on a date with one of his great friends they meet some girls and then there's an incident with the with the girl in another fire and it was an accident that time he was not meaning to do it you know it was just the trauma kind of like kicked in and he had like a like a kind of like a flashback and just saw his mom seeing him like burning his hands and <sighs> felt like he was going to be attacked or something and so he reacted and 
Then it shows the spring trying to get the father to go help, you know, the guy in trouble. And, and it's just, it's, it's pretty crazy. I can't believe I've never seen it before or watched it. I don't think it's, I've ever heard it either. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard it. So I've definitely added it to my list. Mm -hmm. It's one that I will get on, on DVD now or Blu-ray. Like I'm sure some of it, oh my God, it's trash, but no, I like it. Screw those people. Yeah. I, I just did um a write-up it'll it'll appear on horror junkie 10 78 page i always need to think through the the date when halloween came out um 10 78 uh he's doing that come together over horror thing again for this season and i decided to pick a movie that i know a lot of people don't like but i watch all the time. I just have it on in the background sometimes. And I chose Prometheus, which is a movie people just, you know, you're an alien enthusiast and an alien purist with that whole franchise. And Prometheus was supposed to be the movie that bridged the gap between like that ship that they found and the Nostromo finding it. And it didn't. And like, a couple other things on top of that people hate this movie I'm like fuck them i love this movie and so i, I talk all about that in my my little write-up so look out for that i don't know when it's coming out i just sent him my, my write-up um today but uh look for that when it comes out but uh so screw it if people don't like it this sounds like a fascinating movie 1970s horror i just and looking through the images it looks like like it's it's a fascinating movie it kind of had um like a it wasn't pieces you know a, it wasn't like a storyline like pieces but for some reason I just had that kind of feeling to it but to me it was more interesting I'm kind of like I kind of get a little bored with pieces I know that's one that everybody loves I like it I just you know has a little slowness to it for myself but um I need to figure out I need to look at the guy again on IMDb so I can text you after and let you know who it was because Right now, I want to say Eli Roth, but I don't think that was who you're reminding me of. I think there was just something else to do with Eli Roth that I thought about <laughs> while I was watching movies, and I just forget. So, but anyway, I think you'll like it. Well, if it's the guy I think I saw, I'm not sure if the, the only photo I could see with a guy with kind of feathery hair, almost long, he looks to me a little bit like a mix between David Cronenberg and the main guy from Scanners, who, you know, loses in the end, spoiler alert. Uh, but he kind of has that that face to him, almost like, I got a side profile, but it looks like he might have kind of bigger, wider eyes too, with long with the hair. But I'm, I'm not sure that's the guy, but that's like the best photo I could find of that guy on IMDb. I don't think there's a lot of well-known actors in that movie too, which is a shame. Like when a movie starts becoming popular or people today start discovering old 1970s movies and the actors that should be huge because those movies are really good and they start having a cult following they go back into like regular nine to five jobs or they do something else or they died before it became famous you know it's just that's sad so i, I did want to say one last thing there Something about the guy, I don't know what it was, other than because I was on medicine, 
but there's something attractive about him to me. I don't, and I don't remember, I think I remember him being like, oh, he's kind of cute, but then his something about his charm made him more attractive. And then at the same time, I'm like, you idiot, like you're not supposed to like the bad guy. I just want to throw that out there because <laughs> that's why it was so interesting to me, but. Uh, but that's why bad guys get away with so much because they have that charm some of them mm-hmm. yep but um yeah check it out okay all right uh my number two pick is the 1992 all my not all my movies are from the 1990s one of them is right on the cusp of the 1990s but this next one is from 1992 and it is a vampire movie that i'm surprised is not more more of a classic Innocent Blood. Have you seen this movie? Mm-mm. I don't think I've seen that. Right I now. have this on DVD, but it is available on Stars. So um, I rewatched it on Stars, and it is a mob meets vampires movie. And I like. I had to write down a list of all the actors in it because it is. It's first of all, it's directed by John Landis, who mm-hmm. I know we've talked about on the show before because of the Twilight Zone movie, but. Everybody knows him from like American Werewolf in London and like a zillion different horror movies and comedy movies. I think he did the Blues Brothers movie and Animal House and all of, like all of that. Uh, he's just a ridiculously great director, whatever you think about him because of the Twilight Zone movie and if you think he's responsible or whatever, but he's still incredibly talented and fun to watch on documentaries. I always enjoy seeing him pop up to talk about his expertise in in the the genre uh but he directed this movie which i didn't know until i rewatched it as an adult and actually watching this for this show was the first time i've watched it since probably the mid 90s so i yeah and i watched this when it was fairly new i don't think i went to the theaters to see this one when i was a kid but I do remember my mom taping it off of cable. So probably watched it 1993-ish, which would have made me eight years old, probably around that age. Uh, And this is definitely a movie. If you like your nudity, there's a good amount of nudity in this movie. If you like your blood, there's a good amount of blood in this movie. It is a great vampire movie and it, it kind of bends some of the traditional vampire rules First of all, I don't think you actually ever get to see fangs, but you do get this really great glowing eye effect on the vampires, which I'm not sure if it's contacts or some sort of computer thing they could do starting in the 90s where the vampires have this like ridiculously red, like all red, not just the the, the color of your eyes, uh, the irises, but like the whole eye goes red and the main character who is played by... I wrote her name down somewhere. Anna Paraloud, who is not, or Anne Paraloud, not Anna. I don't think she's done anything in America, but she seems to be, other than this, but she seems to be really big in France. Uh, and she has a French accent throughout the entire movie too. But her eyes, you get to see them switch to like green and purple, depending on how like she gets really, you know, there's a great sex scene in it with her and Anthony LaPaglia, which I had to look up how to say his last name because I've read it a million times and I never knew how to say it. It's Anthony LaPaglia from, I think he's from Without a Trace is the TV show that really made him like out there. But I love Anthony for his role in Annabelle Creation. 
because he's the dad who owns the farm that the orphan orphan people orphanage people end up staying at and I, I completely forgot that that's what I remembered him from until I looked it up and like that's why I think that he's a hot dad uh Betty the earth girl our, our daddy Saturday lady uh, or it's daddy every day now she does daddies every day uh <laughs> Anthony LaPaglia in innocent blood especially you could see his butt a little bit in that movie too and there's a whole strip club scene so there's tons of boobs for people but it's this great movie where there's anthony lapalia as an undercover cop which that's revealed really early so that's not really a spoiler but he's trying to infiltrate the mob for his his uh police department and you have Angela Bassett show up a couple times as the district attorney for the state. And while he's undercover at in the mob, a couple of mobsters start suddenly dying. And he finds out that it's because a vampire who is very picky with both her lovers and her food is picking them off one by one because she doesn't want to kill good guys and she's like oh this guy's scum i'm gonna go eat him and it turns out it's the mob but then she gets messy when she tries to eat robert loja which this might be the only movie i've ever seen that has robert loja in it but this is what i remember him from every time i hear his name because he's so good playing a head mobster guy who turns into a vampire because she doesn't finish the job when she's eating him and then you know hijinks ensue more vampires get made and it's just, it's a lot of comedy and there's romance, but there's also great horror elements and horror cameos that watching this as an adult, I didn't notice until like now. Uh, and I had to write these down too so I could remember as many of them as possible. First of all, Tom Savini shows up as a photographer for the news. Just, I know, he's so, and this is like prime Tom Savini. He's got the great hair and the, the facial hair is on point and he's just beautiful 90s Tom Savini. Uh, but he's a photographer, which is hilarious because he actually was a photographer before he got into horror movies. He always talks about how his effects, he can make them so much more real looking because he was a photographer in Vietnam photographing stuff for the news and for possibly for records and stuff. He would be seeing these dead bodies and photography and photographing them for um for whatever sources he was photographing them for that was his job in the military but he got to play a news photographer in this movie and you see him just a couple of times but as soon as his face showed up I'm like oh, that's Tom Savini and I thought that was amazing that's when I realized that there were going to be more cameos because it's a John Landis film and I saw Sam Raimi whose face I also recognized first and then I had to look up who just plays a guy that works in a butchery. Dario Argento is in this movie too. And he, he has just, just one line. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, he just has one line where he's talking to a man who got bitten and was dying. He, he's like a, a hospital, not a hospital, um, an ambulance uh, first responder guy. So he's carrying this body onto the ambulance and he's like, it's going to be okay. And it's so light and you can barely hear it, but you could tell there's a little bit of that Italian accent there. And it's Dario Argento. I think they put a, a wig on him. So he had more hair, but I'm like, 
Yeah, that's him. On top of that, you have, oh, I always feel like I'm, I'm pronouncing her name wrong when I when I see it. Linnea, or Linnea Quigley. Uh, she shows up as well as her husband, which I think she was still married to at the time. Um, Steve Johnson, who was the special effects guy on movies that he worked with her on. In fact, I think the, from the story I can remember from In Search of Darkness, I think part two, he did the cast of her breasts for Night of the Demons where they do the lipstick and the boob thing. So they had to do the prosthetic. And I think that's when she had a crush on him. He had a crush on her and they did eventually get married. They're divorced now, but I think they're still like good. They're still friends. I don't know that for sure, but I haven't heard anything that they're like, oh, we hate each other. I think it was amicable, but I, I know nothing about the history and I haven't looked it up because that's none of my business. I just like the actors and the actresses and the people behind the scenes. But she's in this as a nurse and he's in it as an orderly taking care of a guy who, who is falling apart because he's exposed to sunlight and he's becoming a vampire. Just freaking fantastic scenes in, in this. Marshall Bell, who is from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, he's the gym coach who's also like sexually harassing the male students and shows up at the, the leather bar. He's the guy who gets the towels snapped on his ass <laughs> before he dies. Uh, he's in this as a guy going by the name Marsh. Kim Coates, who I know, he's not like a huge horror movie guy, but he was in one of the Resident Evils and he was a giant jackass. It was the one where they were, um, they landed the plane on the roof of like an apartment building and there were people stuck inside the building. And he was one of the, he was like the biggest dick in that movie. But I know he's also in Sons of Anarchy, which I haven't seen, but I've already had really spoiled for me. <laughs> but I know he's one of the main characters in that. Uh, Frank Oz plays a bit part. Um, and he's the guy who like did all the puppeteering for The Muppet Show, for Sesame Street, for Labyrinth. And then just non-horror people that are in this movie, you've got uh, Chaz Palminteri, because it's a mob movie, so you need all the Italian guys. Uh, oh, okay, this guy's not Italian, but you got Luis Guzman, who is just hilarious. He plays one of the cops. He's not one of the mobsters. And you just, you got a huge cast, a lot of cameos. It's very well written. Uh, the, the vampire stuff is so fantastic. Uh, the the special effects when vampires get hit by sunlight it's like they turn into lava like molten rock their skin when it starts cracking and falling apart it's like you could feel the dryness in their skin it's so crazy and it's just it's a great story on top it's a great love story on top of it while also having this horror element because it's a vampire movie and being a comedy because it's just so funny so I can't like I'm surprised I don't hear people talking about this movie to this day like I can't even remember oh, that's what I wanted to do I wanted to do this before we did the show and I completely forgot I want to go back and watch Eli Roth's history of horror episode on vampires he does a whole hour episode about vampires I don't remember him using any clips from this movie but I could be wrong he might have used one clip from this movie of the main vampire lady biting someone that I couldn't remember, but nobody talked about it. And I mean, you know, 1992, 
Is that the year that Bram Stoker's Dracula came out? Because it could have been overshadowed by that. I think it might have. I think it might have been. I'm gonna look that up. Let's see. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes! 1992. That is why nobody talks about this movie. Because obviously that's the superior vampire movie. It's so classic. It's got super romance on scale. It's got super horror. So for horror movie fans, that's the one you're going to talk about. The thing where Innocent Blood beats Dracula with is the comedy because it's a horror comedy while Dracula is a horror romance and has the tiniest bit of comedy in it because of um, uh, Anthony Hopkins as uh, I can't think of names. <laughs> uh, Anthony Hopkins as the guy who is hunting Dracula. Helsing, Van Helsing. Because <laughs> you got Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing and he the way he delivers some of his lines is so funny. Like the whole, you have to cut off her head and shove a stake in her heart. Like just the delivery, the the bluntness of some of the brutality he talks about is so funny uh, that there is a little bit of comedy there because of him and because of those lines. But in essence, it's a romance horror that leans heavily on both. And Innocent Blood coming out the same year is not heavy in the horror it's heavier in the comedy and it just has a lot of these horror elements in it so that is why now i know we solved the mystery i saw we solved the mystery as to why this movie this fantastic movie again available on stars go watch it is is not talked about as much it's because it just com completely got overshadowed so let's bring it back to the light bring it back to the light all right, Heather, what is your number three? Well, that's a, like a two-way tie because the movies are, they have a setting in a, okay, so they're both set in an asylum. Oh, <laughs> nice. So, okay. And then they both have characters from CSI and CSI um, Miami. So I thought that was weird because they were two that were on my list. I'm like, well, how do I pick between the two? And then I was like, oh my gosh, they both have a dude, a dude from CSI, so that's weird. But I'll start with Session 9. I thought I had not seen that one before. I was thinking that was a different movie, and I have. And um, it has David Caruso, Josh Lucas. But anyway, so they're like working to clean out this, the asbestos or the mold out of an asylum so that they, they like had a longer time to do the job, but then they bet somebody like a week that they could do it for a higher price they could do it and um so they're like really rushing to do it and then as they're cleaning it they're like having all these weird experiences you know supernatural paranormal whatever you want to call it and uh one of the guys finds i believe it was josh lucas's character and he does not at all look like josh lucas because he has like a mustache face so hot but, uh, <laughs> so they're like he's like listening to the tapes some of the tapes you know that were left behind and then we've got one of the guys's nephews who is like new to the group and he's helping like clean and stuff well he's afraid of the dark so you know that doesn't go very well for, for him david caruso is the lead josh lucas like stole his wife so there's a little bit of tension there and it's just showing that and then one of the other leads um the one whose name i can't remember and he's he's in a lot of stuff 
he's just had a, he has a wife and a child and you see him like sitting outside his house at one point, like looking in. And at first I thought, oh, well, you know, they must be separated and he's just uh, admiring from afar. And then I noticed, well, they are married <laughs> and he's just <laughs> to go in and his wife catches them. So the, you've got like a lot of tension throughout the whole thing, you know, but it's really good. I don't want to say what with it. So, you know, you're just watching as they're trying to clean out this asylum and get, you know, I think it was 10,000 extra dollars and you're just seeing how it doesn't go that way. And, and um, it's good, but I like, uh, so the other one I have, I like a little bit better. It's called Asylum Blackout. It's also known as The Incident. And it's from, okay, the other one's what, 2001, I think. And then this one's from 2011. And Richard Brake, he has like a small role of like one of the asylum patients. When I first watched it, I was thinking they were working in a prison and they were like the, the main people were like the cafeteria people who fed them and everything. And I think helped administer the medicine, but rewatching it, I believe it was an asylum, which makes sense considering the title has asylum in it. <laughs> but um, so Richard Brake, he plays one of the um, patients and it's like these, the people who work in the cafeteria, they're like, they have a band, but like these rock kind of guys, you know, and they're working and one, and they're like seeing how like this one guy's kind of an asshole. Richard breaks a complete nut job, of course, and he does a very good job. And, you know, she's showing a little bit of their patients before they had the blackout. And then pretty much everyone leaves and goes to tend to other stuff and other places and they just leave the band guys who are feeding people there to defend themselves against the asylum patients and you know so you're watching you know as one gets killed off and um and then the ending the ending's kind of kind of throws you for a little twist but I don't want to say and give it away but I, I really like it it was to me it, it was much scarier than the session nine. The session nine was just kind of like a little creepy, you know. Asylum Blackout just felt more suspenseful and kind of like a little more exciting and kind of like, I don't know. It was just, to me, it was a better watch with more replayability, but. It's funny, I'm, I'm looking up the director for Asylum Blackout because this feels like with with R Richard Br Brake, is his name right? I know him. Well, I know him from a few movies, but I always think about him in 31, mm -hmm. which is a Rob Zombie movie. And this sounds like a Rob Zombie movie, but it's some guy named Alexander or Alexandra Quartz, Alexandre Quartz, uh, however that's pronounced, or Cortez. And he, I believe it's a he uh, did all of these YouTube music videos. That's what he's got on IMDb. I think there's a couple of non-music video things here, but nothing huge. And uh, I'm just, I'm thinking back to Ryan Kruger, who did a bunch of music videos and got into horror movie making. But uh, this sounds fascinating. I like the concept. It's almost like the beginning of A Nightmare on Elm Street, where Freddy Krueger is the bastard son of a thousand maniacs. So it's just more murder and less rape, I guess. Mm -hmm. I feel like every time you recommend a movie, it's like something I just got to add to my list. So mm -hmm. I'm just... I'm adding it to the list. Hush is already on my list. So I, I know I need to watch that one. I just haven't yet, but I've got two great ones that I need. Well, three great ones because I haven't watched session, session nine yet. I've heard of session nine. 
it pops up on Netflix recommendations all the time for me. I believe it's still on Netflix. I don't watch Netflix that much. I have it. It's free now through my T-Mobile, but I don't watch it that often unless there's something I really, really, really need to watch. Or um, one of their series has a new season. Stranger Things season four. Come on, guys. When the hell is that coming out? I've watched the preview like a year ago. But other than that, I don't really watch Netflix that much. But I know Session 9 was on there for a long time. And I've heard from a few people great things about it. But yeah, it's not one that a lot of people talk about either. I think I might have seen it on some countdown lists, but that's like it. So I'll have to check that out. When I rewatched them, I watched both on, well, okay, when I rewatched them, I started watching Session 9 on Amazon Prime. And then I went to New Orleans and forgot to finish it before my rental was up. So then I watched on YouTube. And then the sound blackout or the incident, that was also on YouTube. Okay, great. There. Oh, yeah. And I checked on YouTube for Near Dark and I couldn't find it there either. So sad. <laughs> but good to know. Good to know that's it. Well, are you saying that you rented it from YouTube or somebody uploaded it from YouTube or on YouTube? Someone had uploaded it to YouTube. I love that. I mean, I'm sure the movie makers don't love that so much, but I love that, you know, if you can't get it on a streaming service that somebody somewhere uploads these things and, you know, they can't make money off of it probably, but it's not like they necessarily have to take it down right away. They might get like a copyright strike or something and it'll still last for a good year before they have to get rid of it. But how are they supposed to expect us to cherish these movies if they're not going to make them available anywhere like joe bob on the last drive-in last friday did this whole big speech so it was last week right the vhs no last week was uh the day of the beast evil speak one right that was the one with clint howard yeah so it was the week before that then which by the way evil speak and day of the beast fantastic movies the yeah, if you're not watching joe bob you could still find those without watching joe bob on shutter um but it's it's a lot of fun to watch commentary in between clips of the movies uh but evil speak other than the little dog dying which they didn't show the dead bodies i believe unless i looked away from the screen so it's, it's horrible but it's not horrifying at least but evil speak and day of the beast are two fantastic movies go watch those but it was the week before was the vhs night oh my god with um things and sledgehammer which i don't understand how there's a sequel to sledgehammer but apparently there is uh i blacked i like i was awake but i definitely blacked out at some point during both of those movies so i've like no recollection of things that happened because my brain just turned off. They were so bad. But but Joe Bob went on this whole speech at the end where he's like, the reason we're showing these movies is because movies disappear. If we don't show them, even if they're really bad, they can still be fun to watch with other people and you know drink and make fun of. There's somebody's art that they love, they created it. And art is for somebody out there in the world. And if we just completely stop showing these movies anywhere, they are just gonna disappear. It's somebody's hard work that goes away. That's somebody who loved this for some reason, they don't have that anymore in their lives. 
So that's why they do the VHS night, which I've only started watching Joe Bob over the, this season and a couple of specials from the, the last year. Um, and I do plan on going back and watching what's available on Shutter for the previous seasons, especially since this week is the last one. Uh, this will be coming out tomorrow. I'll be editing tonight. Uh, and so the day this comes out, this episode comes out, is going to also be the last episode of the season for Joe Bob. So go watch that tonight too. But he is talking about, you know, we got to save these films. We got to make sure that they still exist even when these actors die, when these directors die, when the people who own the rights die and the rights get passed on to whoever. We got to make sure that they're out there. And that's the thing with Near Dark. Like this movie that I have only seen clips of and am stunned by how greatly gory and fun it looks. This movie isn't anywhere and it could die. The people who own the DVDs and the Blu-rays, those are gonna get what, tossed in the trash, maybe passed down to relatives. And people are just gonna forget about it. This, Bill Paxton's already gone. Lance Henriksen will hopefully be alive for a very long time. I love that man. But like these, like those are uh, A-list actors and this work that they were both in could just disappear. That's so upsetting. As somebody who may want to make movies one day myself, I want my work to always be out there for people, you know? And I, I love that that Darcy the male girl and Joe are working. Like, I guess, I guess Darcy does Diana Prince. <laughs> it does a lot of the, the footwork to talking to the studios, talking to the, the copyright people to see what they can get on Shutter to begin with. Because a lot of times things don't end up on Shutter until after Joe Bob has them on his show, like Spookies, which was a movie I loved since a kid, but I thought was gone to the world until I found it on YouTube. And now, <laughs> I try, I try to get it off of Amazon. I missed it. That's awesome. They had already sold out. I, I, I actually ordered this when they said that they were out of them, but they would get more. And it took a couple of weeks to arrive, but I think you can still get this Blu-ray on Amazon because I just got it a couple of days ago. Oh, then they restocked it. Oh, well, that's good to know. Um, I'm glad you got it because I know you really, really loved it. So, hey. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm not sure it's the first horror movie I ever watched, watched, but it's probably the horror movie I watched the most as a kid. And it's just, I don't care how crazy ridiculous the storyline is. I think horror, it's got so many horror elements in it that it's amazing. And when I found out that Joe Bob was bringing it to Shudder, I couldn't have been like more overjoyed. When he announced that they were showing it, I literally, I literally just let out a big squeal just sitting on my couch over there. I'm like, yay! And I have, I have two friends, twin sisters, who uh, have slept over my house a lot when we were kids because they lived on the same street as me for a while. And I messaged them like immediately as soon as I got the Blu-ray in my house. I'm like, look what I got, guys. You gotta come back from Tennessee. They moved to Tennessee. And uh, we're gonna have a sleepover and watch this movie. <laughs> I do plan on visiting them in Tennessee. Maybe I'll bring the movie with me, but they have they have kids. I don't know if they show their kids horror movies. You should show your kids horror movies. Uh, but it, 
uh, it makes me really sad that movies can just disappear like that. I know they're trying harder to archive things, to update old real archives and to try to preserve what they can. I think movies that came out as our teenage years and older might be easily preserved now compared to movies when we were kids and you and you know before our lifetime but you know it's because the technology has uh, been better since uh, those ages but it is it is really sad to think that these movies could, could disappear which brings me to my number one which is it's really funny because i i wrote this on the schedule too like months ago and then Joe Bob has his VHS night. I'm like, this is perfect timing. This is perfect timing. Fate. I'm telling you, fate is, and destiny, whatever you want to believe about it. That's, it's in this podcast, man. It's in this podcast. Uh, my number one is another one I have on VHS that they did talk a little bit about in In Search of Darkness Part Two, because they did Robert England on Robert England, and this is a Robert England movie. But you can't stream it anywhere. You can't even rent it or buy it anywhere. And if Joe, Bob, and Darcy ever listen to this, I think this is one you should get for Shudder because it needs to be somewhere. And that is the 1989 The Phantom of the Opera starring Robert England. I like, I've like, I feel glee just, just thinking about this movie. One, it's where my crush on Robert England kind of started because he wasn't Freddy in the Freddy makeup. And yes, he still has a hideous face because he plays the Phantom, but it's usually masked with some sort of like wax that he uses to cover up his face instead of one of those half masks, like in the original Phantom of the Opera movies and the musical. But it is your horror Phantom of the Opera. And there is a good amount of gore compared to, I mean, the actual Phantom of the Opera, the musical, and the original story, there are people being murdered, there's deaths and stuff, but you get like a beheading and you get to see the head and it's 80s horror effects with the Phantom of the Opera story. And on top of that, you've got this almost time travel thing about it. It's almost like, oh my God, because... Bram Stoker's Dracula came out. I don't know why my dogs are going nuts. Bram Stoker's Dracula came out in 1992 and this came out in 1989. And there's a little bit of that element that, that Dracula could have borrowed from this phantom because it's bookended in present time, New York City, present time, 1989, New York City. And you have this character, uh, Christine, played by Jill Skolin, who you know from the very first stepfather movie. She was the daughter uh, or stepdaughter in the movie and who kind of disappeared too as an actress. I don't understand why. I loved her and her horror movies and I'm really hoping that she'll make a reappearance at some point because she, she was just fantastic in those movies. And the remake of The Stepfather cannot hold a candle to her stepfather at all. Absolutely fantastic. But um, Jill Skolan plays Christine Day, or Die, I think it's Christine Die is how you pronounce it, maybe? Uh, I don't know, I've heard both ways. But she plays this character in both present day New York City, and then she gets into an accident on stage while auditioning for this play, Don Juan Triumphant 
which has been made by, I think Eric Kessler is the Phantom's real name in this movie, played by Robert England. She finds the, the orchestration in some old archive dusty uh, area of the library. And she's like, this is what I want to use for my audition. And Robert England is also in this present day New York, but he's going by Eric Kessler. He's supposedly not the Phantom. And when she has like one of those sandbags fall on her during the audition causing an accident, she's transported into the past, into like the Victorian era in, uh, I think it's Paris or England, it's, it's somewhere fancy where they have a great opera. And she is a, uh, a standby for the lead in this opera. And, but she remembers everything about being this person. And eventually she comes back to New York City after, you know, defeating the Phantom. And then there's, there's an ending I don't want to give away. But it's such a well-crafted story. And from what Robert England says in, in Search of Darkness, the Manhattan thing and the past thing were supposed to be two separate movies. It was going to be The Phantom of Manhattan was going to be the sequel but it never got off the ground. So they kind of just combined both of them to bookend them. But Robert England, he's almost Freddy without being Freddy. There's a charm to him. He's like seducing prostitutes and he's got all this gold and he's just a badass fighting pickpockets in the street, which again, the horror and the gore shows up there. You almost root for his character. And it's just... I mean, I guess that's the way the Phantom's always been, though. You almost root for the Phantom every time you watch it because his story is so sad. Uh, in, in every version of the Phantom you could watch, although I've never seen the original, black and white, and that is on my list for Terror Tuesdays at some point. But the story is the same. The guy had a horrible childhood, horrible growing up, completely deformed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this one has more of a Faustian devil element to it too which I loved and I thought oh that's brilliant I think at one point they're actually doing Faust on stage at the opera which makes him think about what he's been through uh, it's just so well connected and you've got Bill Nye who is another fantastic actor in this movie and the singing is great I know Jill Scullin or Shulin, I think it's Scullin she doesn't actually do any of the singing herself which I was a little sad about but she does have somebody singing for her and it, her, that person's name is somewhere on IMDb. I don't know if the person she's the understudy for is also not singing. I don't know who this woman is either. Uh, Stephanie Lawrence, I haven't seen her in anything else. She doesn't even have a photo on IMDb, but she's fantastic. She's wicked and stunning all at the same time. And it's just such a fun, 80s horror watch and there's another element of of romance in it do all my movies today have romance in it what's my first one my first one was relic no there's no romance in the relic i mean there's like you think maybe the detective and and the museum woman there's a little flirting there but not really i think they're just happy they both you know are fighting this thing together but of course you know innocent blood lots of romance Kind of the opera, lots of romance, but way more horror. But the romance is where the horror comes in because it's like 
you want her to defeat this guy, but she's also really drawn to him because of his talent and his genius as a, as a musician, as a writer, um, who hasn't fallen for a guy in a band, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just, it's another one of those movies that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. This is like watching In Search of Darkness, hearing Robert England talk about it just briefly. It wasn't even one of their separate movies. And I actually, I tweeted them because that's what I do, I tweet. Uh, that in part three, when they're doing part three, they should try to have a bigger section on this movie. Like they do all the individual movies for every year. Maybe even try to find Jill Skolan and get her to talk about being on this movie. And well, I think they talked about the stepfather already in one of the, the In Search of Darkness documentaries. It was in part two? I think it was, uh, I think it was part one and it was the second stepfather. No, it was part two because wasn't Caroline Williams in part two? Yes, yes. Yeah, because she was talking about how um, uh, the guy who was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with her, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, who was the bad guy in Speed. Oh, okay, not Bill Mosley. Dennis something. Dennis Hopper? Yeah. Dennis Hopper. Because he, she was talking about how when she acted with him, it was like an acting class. Like, this is where your light is. This is your best side of your face. I don't know what the best side of my face is. You'll see me turn my face every once in a while. I, I, every time I edit these, I'm like, don't turn your face that way. But then I, I do the opposite for the next one. I'm like, you shouldn't turn your face that way. I should just be straight on. I think this is my best face. Everything else is horrible. Um, but yeah, she did talk about her death in Stepfather 2. And I think... I think they do talk about Stepfather 1, though, in the first Search of Darkness. I've watched these so many times, I can't, I can't even remember. But and I've only seen the first little bit of part two. That's why when you asked me if I'd seen it, and I'd only, I had already seen part of part two, but I'm like, I haven't seen it because I only got to watch like 20 to 30 minutes, so. Oh, yeah, there's a lot more to watch, a lot more to watch. Four hours. <laughs> but she does touch on Stepfather 2, but... If they did talk about Stepfather 1, I feel like they missed an opportunity to get Jill in for talking about that one, because that was the one Jill was in. So if they could find her and bring her back to talk about Phantom of the Opera, that would be a huge get for them. So I suggested that to them on Twitter. I'm like, you got to talk more about this movie. This movie is a classic. Oh my God. There was this show on growing up here in Cleveland called Big Chuck and Little John where it was literally this tall guy named Chuck. I can't remember his full name. And this little guy, oh, little guy. He, no, little, little person. That's the appropriate term. He's short. Uh, named Little John before there was a rapper named Lil John uh, out there. And he actually was, um, I think his name is John Grimaldi or Grimbaldi, something like that. Uh, he owns a jewelry store in town in Cleveland, but he was famous because he was a horror host with Big Chuck and actually I think it was Big Chuck and Houlihan for a while but Houlihan possibly died and that's when little John came uh but Houlihan was before my time and they were movie hosts and they did like a bunch of different movies like I watched Grease for the first time because of their show but they also did horror movies every once in a while and at least once a year, they would show The Phantom of the Opera from 1989. So this movie was a regular staple in my life. 
And I think sometime when I was a teenager, my mom found the VHS tape and bought that. And so that's what I have is just the VHS tape. But this is another one you cannot find anywhere. Uh, maybe internationally, I'll look for it on a VPN, but you can't rent it. Nobody posted it to YouTube. It's just another one of these great movies with a great actor and a great cast that could just die and just go away. And that, that's the true horror film right there is the movies disappearing and dying. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, hopefully this will be something that can be found. You know, I'm going to bring it up to, I'm going to bring it up to Joe, Bob and Darcy on Twitter. I'm going to be like, Hey, don't forget about this movie. See if you can get it on shutter <laughs> and then get Robert England on do an interview. So let's hope. Have you seen this version of the Phantom of the Opera? I think I have, but it's been so long and, and I did not realize that it was Robert Eland. The last time I watched Phantom of the Opera, it was, I think it was the 90s version or early 2000s. It was with Emmy Ross and she was only 17 and it had Gerard Butler playing as the Phantom. I want to say in the nine, like late 90s, I think that, that I did watch that version, the 89 version, but it might have been the original, but I don't think it was the original. But I have to rewatch because I don't remember any of it. I think I was in high school with the one with Gerard Butler came out. So that was probably early 2000s. Uh, I do remember that one being a huge deal. And yes, I do have that on DVD. Gerard Butler, the hottest guy to ever play Phantom of the Opera ever. Uh, so I immediately crushed on him. But also... Patrick Wilson's like debut into the movies, the guy who eventually became the conjuring and insidious man, the horror movie maestro of our time now as adults, like he got to start singing as, and I'm pretty sure they all sang their own parts. So he actually, and we know he can sing, he sings Elvis on, on the conjuring. He played Raul, which I still think it should be pronounced Raul. I hate I hate that they call him Raul. It spelled, I think, R-A-U-L, so that always bugged me. But he has a fantastic voice too. And yeah, the Phantom of the Opera is basically a horror story with a lot of romance in it, especially the musical version. And yeah, that that that's a great movie. That that I'm pretty sure you could easily find places. But it was I saw that one like three or four times in the movie theaters too. But I was working at the movie theaters at the time, and I could get it for free. Mm -hmm. But it was a great watch too. But the 1989 version, yeah, Robert England, fantastic, Phantom, super scary. A uh, little bit of romance in there. The the role of Raoul that's in that movie is not as well developed, really. Um, it's mostly about Christine and the Phantom, but it's a, and of course, Christine's enemies within the opera because she's so good and everybody's so afraid of her, you know, outshining their diva. It's not a musical. There is singing in it, but it's not a musical. Uh, it is definitely straight up 80s horror. It should be a classic. So that's about it. All right, Heather, how, what is coming up for you? this week just working on any setup for our interview with the people that i've mentioned before yes yes cool cool so there's that and then there's something else i want i don't want to say it i don't i'll tell you who afterward but there's someone that i want to interview like it would be like a dream interview to me but like he's 
to me, he's a horror legend, but he's not into horror movies. He's not like in the business, you know, like it was one of those based on a true movie kind of franchises that people would know his name from. And got me on pins and needles, (laughs) but it's not something that you know, it's, you know how a lot of stuff that is true is based on people, somebody getting murdered. Okay. So it's like, there are family members who have been, you know, who are not there and he has done a documentary before. Well, I just gave away this guy. So I like really want to ask him to do it. And he follows me. I'm afraid that if I ask him and it offends him that he'll be like, fuck this bitch and like blog me. And then I'll be like, because I like, like that is all life now. Like he, does stuff I won't say what and so you know like you can tell he's happy so you don't want to like ask and bring that back up but then it's like why do I want to (laughs) all right yes definitely stay on after I stop recording so we can can, because I want to know who this person is so but okay cool yay future interviews in the in the making so excited about that for me, other than Terror Tuesdays, I don't see a lot happening that I will be putting out there over the next week. And because of my my near dark experience, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the next movie is going to be. I think I'm going to try. I'm like I'm at the point where everything I filmed to be ahead of schedule, I'm no longer ahead of schedule because <laughs> I got sick. So I I haven't done a lot of filming, um, but I did my makeup up a little bit extra today I even put on fake lashes so I think I'm going to do some filming tonight and maybe over the next couple nights and then just edit 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 but yeah so I have an idea of what the next few movies are going to be and if near dark ends up being one of them by chance yay uh but I I don't know if it's going to be uh Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it already this last week I watched uh, them again pre-recorded but I did a reaction to the movie them the giant ant movie from the 1950s and that was a pretty good movie yeah I watched the 1930s black cat and that was okay I mean it's got Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff and it's so big names but I think in terms of movie making quality the 50s is more of the type of movies I like in older movies I know the 70s I I feel myself drawn to 1970s films and then movies of my childhood. Like this is the third or fourth time I've pulled a movie from 1992. We talked about, um, oh, I can't remember what the show was. I know there was the Valentine's Day episode that had a couple movies from 1992 on it. And I think maybe the Kevin Bacon episode, we had Flatliners, I think might've been 1992 as well, but we weren't, we were just ranking all of his movies. We weren't pulling our favorite movies. Uh, but I think Flatliners for both of us was pretty high up there. I think that was your number one. And I think it was my number two. But I feel like I pulled from movies from my childhood. And then I pulled from movies from the 1970s a lot when I talk about my favorite horror films. And then there's movies from the last like 10 years that have been really fantastic. Like the Ari Aster movies that we talked about. But I think in terms of like movies I could go back and watch and I might actually like and rewatch 1950s is probably where it would start like 1930s I think are one-time watches and then I'm done but I haven't watched the Universal Monster films yet like I think the Black Cat had Universal behind it and had the monster movie stars but I've never seen the original Dracula I've never seen the original Frankenstein 
these are all movies that are possibly up and coming in my Terror Tuesdays list. So I, I guess I'll know by the end of the next year uh, whether or not I care for movies from the 1930s. So and it's not about it being black and white films. I like black and white films. It's about like um, Diabolique, that French film, it was French, that I did for Terror Tuesdays like uh, six months ago. Uh, I'm almost positive, I'm gonna look it up right now, that that is also a 1950s movie. And I actually really like that. And that was black and white with subtitles. <laughs> Diabolique, 1955, yeah. 1955 movies oh do you have it yeah I got I haven't watched yet I, I found it on a, a criterion edition yeah so how to get it yeah I really like that there's something about the I think women in movies at that point I think that's the other thing the 1930s movies the woman in distress damsel in distress thing she could be smarter you know she doesn't have to faint at everything they did that a lot in the 1930s and in the 50s women were starting to like be in the workplace more maybe they were secretaries but they still work and they were you know snappy comebacks against the men they were talking to and even though they were still like objectified whatever we like to feel pretty sometimes so it's okay for some of us but there's you know there's still more of a power in women in those movies uh, the woman character in them, yes, she's outnumbered by the men. So it's not like there's equal casting in these movies either. But she is incredibly memorable. She sticks up for herself. There was only one thing I, I noted in my reaction where I'm like, she said that if he wasn't comfortable calling her doctor, that she could just, he could just call her by her first name. And I'm like, uh, no, you're a doctor. You got the degree. He can call you doctor and suck it up because feminism. <laughs> So that was the only note I had about that. But other than that, she was a pretty strong character who took the lead in trying to figure out how to destroy these ants, these giant ants. And I really liked that. So that was my latest Terror Tuesdays. Feel free to go watch that. It's on YouTube and on my IGTV page. So. I should have asked for it. It was really good. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, but yeah, so watch that and enjoy. And I guess that's it for now. The end of another fantastic Terror Tuesdays episode. So please save the movies and come back and find us. Mary Graves CLE, Heather underscore loves underscore horror and Heather Beck M-Y-1? M-Y-E-1. M-Y-E-1. Okay, I wasn't sure if the E was in there. On Twitter. Uh, Mary Grace Sealy on Instagram, Twitter, and everything. Uh, and that is it. We will see you later. Bye, Heather. Bye.